Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, everyone. It is just me, Sophie, introing this week's episode as Jade is gallivanting again. We're both back from Fiji, but she is in Melbourne for a few days, so I gave her the morning off. Um, Don't worry, she is in this week's episode, though. We're both back safely. Once we're together, we're going to do, you know, chat more about our trips away because we both found our trips to Fiji were so family-friendly. I'm going to be quick today as I'm by myself, but we wanted to say thank you so much for the feedback from last week's bonus episode about all of your hilarious period stories. We could not believe the amount of people who sent us messages saying that as soon as they finished the episode, they got their period. Some people who normally had regular 28-day cycles were getting their periods on day 20 or literally, you know, five days after they'd just had their period. So we apologize if you got it earlier than normal or if it came back four months postpartum because you listened to the episode. But it's so cool that so many of you are now in sync. I'm a little bit jealous. I mean, I'm pregnant and I hope that on the other side of this, when I do get my period back, that I'm in sync with you all too so that we can have episodes that suit where we're all at in our cycle. But yeah, the feedback from that was hilarious. We have no idea what kind of voodoo magic was attached to the episode that made everyone suddenly start menstruating after listening to it. We're going to get straight into this week's episode. Uh, We chatted with Emily from The Playful Psychologist. She is a child psychologist and we chatted all about the buzz phrase at the moment, which is emotional regulation and what does this actually mean for our kids? What is realistic to expect of our kids and when are we kind of expecting too much? And yeah, this was just such a good chat for tricks and tips to help our little ones learn more about their emotions and how they can, you know, deal with big feelings in the big world. So we hope you enjoy this one. Jade and I can't wait to see each other this week for the first time in two weeks. But yeah, have a good week. Bye. Hello, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us on Beyond the Bump today. Uh, For those that are listening, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me. So my name's Emily. I'm a child and adolescent clinical psychologist. So I work primarily with children and adolescents who have emotional regulation, difficulties, anxiety, and developmental diagnoses such as ADHD and autism. And I also run like an online kind of business called The Playful Psychologist, where I try and share as many resources as possible with parents, teachers and other therapists so that everyone kind of has access to the information I wish I had when I first became a psychologist and a parent. Well, we are so excited to have you on the potty today. And it isn't a fluke that you are on here today (laughs) because I was coming back from a holiday with my family a few weeks ago and I was saying to Soph, 
I think we might need like a behavioral psychologist <laughs> on the podcast. And she's like, what's going on? I was like, was what are you doing? <laughs> no, but I just. Jade notoriously has <laughs> um, nightmare family holidays. So I was like, yeah. what happened this time that you're needing a child psychologist as you get home? But it was all great. We actually had one of the best trips we've ever had. The issue was me trying to understand a few things of about my eight-year-old. And I want to, I guess I want to know, and a lot of people that wrote in here want to know what is classed as normal behavior versus something that we actually need to look a little bit more into. And I think what we'll just run through it all and we can, you know, have a chat about everything. But at what age can we teach emotional self-regulation techniques to a child? So I think when it comes to emotional regulation, it's really hard not to like compare your kid to another kid or their sibling Mm -hmm. or another kid at school. This is my job and I still compare my two-year-old to every other kid in his daycare or at the playground. I think with emotional regulation, you can start at any age, but I think it's really important to remember that the younger the child is, the more support they're going to need from you and the less independent that regulation's going to be. But I think it's also important to remember that, and I think this is where a lot of people, myself included, come unstuck, is there are so many steps that come before emotional regulation. And if we miss those steps, it it can be really hard for kids to put into place the regulation strategies that we're like trying to get them to implement. So if our kids aren't like emotionally aware, so they can't identify their emotions and know what emotion they're feeling. If they don't have emotional understanding, they can't understand the triggers for different feelings and, and how their behavior might impact someone else's feelings. If they don't have good emotional expression, they're not able to express their emotions in a, in a way that's adaptive to us. How can we expect them to like regulate their emotions if they don't have those foundations first, you know? And I think as much as when they're younger, they rely on you for more self-regulation. Like I'm, I'm not saying like a four-year-old isn't still young, but I feel like if I were to compare my daughters, like Goldie, who's two and a half, gets away with so much more than what Poppy does, who's four and a half. And it's almost like when Poppy has explosive behaviors, our expectations of her are so much higher. But sometimes I have to pull myself back and go, just because she can communicate doesn't mean and I once listened to this podcast and it was about like sometimes our kids as they can communicate, they're four, they're five, they're six, whatever it is, we almost have higher expectations of them than we would of like our partner to communicate when they've had an absolutely shit day or something really inconvenience happened to them. And I think it almost is unfair for that middle middle bracket who then can communicate because it's almost like, oh, you've heard about the terrible twos, you've heard about the tantruming, oh, they can get away with it because they're two. And then it's like as soon as they can communicate, it's like, oh, you need to be this like perfect, emotionally stable human all the time. But us as adults can't even do this. Like this is where I'm at. I see a psychologist and I sit there with anxiety and the main issue is is because I haven't been taught and it's not my parents' fault. It's just the way life is and I'm sure a lot of adults are the same but like we're, we're kind of not taught what our emotions are and I don't actually understand what I'm feeling and you have to you have to actually sit with yourself to realize why you're actually anxious and beneath that is 
so much more than what we think. And I think emotional regulation is like the flavor of the month at the moment. Like I think it was (laughs) mindfulness. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, let's teach mindfulness to everyone not knowing what the hell that even meant. (laughs) And now we're doing the same with emotional regulation. And it's like, shit, there are so many layers that come before that. If you just try and go, well, it's time to regulate your emotions now that you're four, it's like this like entire bag of Lego on the floor with no instructions, asking your kid to make a perfect model and then getting shitty at them when they can't do it. (laughs) So you were saying there are these steps before and you're saying like probably one of the first steps is recognizing and labeling emotions. So if we have turned around at four and gone, oh shit, I don't think my child you know, of course, no four-year-old can always regulate their emotions. But if we're a bit like, oh, I feel like that may have been a teaching point we missed or or whatever, like no judgment on the parents. Like, is it too late to start? Never. It's never. literally never too late. Just start with like, I say the number one teaching tool in that regard is for parents to start labeling their own emotions in mm. front of their children for a couple of reasons. Number one, we know kids model off adults, mm. but number two, it normalizes those emotional experiences. Like I'm not afraid to be anxious in front of my child. I'm not afraid to cry in front of him. I'm not afraid to get frustrated, but I tell him what's going Mm on. Yeah, sure. There are times where I want to like slam the door and he's the cause for the anxiety. (laughs) But there are times where I'm like, I'm angry and mummy's feeling really angry right now. And he'll say mummy's angry now, you know. So the the flavour of the month or flavour of the year with my three-year-old is her storming around the house saying, I'm just so frustrated. And I'm like, where have you pulled that word from? So, but well, guess you where say she's that got word. it. Yeah. I, you know, she says it with an R. I say it with an F-U. <laughs> but she... Ten points for you. Yeah, I know. She's walking around saying I'm frustrated. But you know what? She she is frustrated. She's, she gets what that is. 100%. Well, the other day we had a friend over who was feeling frustrated and he was acting out a little bit. And Poppy turned around to his mum and goes why is he so moody today? And I was like, I don't feel like that's a word we use that much in our house. Mate, actually, look, I've just gone through the first trimester. Maybe that word has been. Possible, yeah. (laughs) You know, at my husband, of course. But I was like, that is so funny to hear a four-year-old say the word moody. And look, we pulled her up and we were like, oh, it's, it's not really kind to call someone moody. <laughs> You'll learn that in your time. You'll be called it enough in your time to know that doesn't feel good. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. No, it's like, yeah, modeling the language normalizes it and lets kids know that it's okay to have those feelings. Like I think as well, one of the mistakes we make as parents, and again, I'm very guilty of this, no judgment whatsoever, is that when a kid has big feelings, we're very quick to shut it down mm-hmm. and we don't let them like actually experience that feeling. So the message they get is, oh, I got yelled at or, you know, I was told to stop. And so that feeling must be bad. I'm not allowed to feel angry. I'm not allowed to feel worried. And that's definitely like not the message we want to be sending to kids because that can have like big effects later on in life. Okay. So if they're sitting on the floor and there's a lot going on, they are having a meltdown over, let's, for example, say hair clips, right? And they're just not listening. They're shouting what would you do? So there's a really awesome book. Like if you guys get one parenting book ever, 
get the book Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. It's one of those books that every time I read it, I like learn something new. Like I've read it professionally before I had oh, wow. kids and then I read it as a mum, and I'm like, oh my God, that makes so much more sense now. And I, I really, really recommend it. And basically he talks through these five steps of emotion coaching, which are the way that I like to say I parent all the time. However, I'd say like <laughs> maybe closer to 50 to 60% on a good day. But basically it's all about helping the child recognize the emotion acknowledging that struggle and really empathizing with them, normalizing the emotion for them, helping them name the emotion and really set limits and problem solve. But you go through all those steps first before you get to the problem solving about the actual behavior, because you you don't have to agree with a child's behavior. You don't have to like it. It can irritate the shit out of you, but you always, in my opinion, have to empathize with whatever emotion is underlying that behavior. Kids aren't born angry, right? So if they're angry, that's a secondary emotion to something else that's going on. If they're angry, I guarantee you they're either overtired, sad, or extremely anxious. So the other question that I have to you is, this is a big one. This is the biggest one and the reason that we had you on today, what sparked the the idea of it was my nine-year-old daughter, and let me know if this is the age of when, you know, nine-year-old girls start to get overwhelmed or I'm not sure, like pre-menstrual she it's a pretty awkward age it's a really awkward age and you're not a teen and it's also even with clothing they find it very hard they want to be a teenager or a preteen but they can't find the clothing because their legs are too long or too short and they find themselves very confused but like for an example we went to the snow and my mum was standing there and the guy who was fitting the skis said to me, all right, come up here. And mum was standing right in front of her, was helping her the whole time. And out of nowhere, she just goes, move. And I was shocked. I just sort of was like, did she just say move to you? And then I said to her, Mia, did you just say move to Mimi? And she said, yeah. Well, I needed to get there. And I said, there is absolutely no need to speak to anyone in that way. And it wasn't the first time. And I've noticed now there's been these things where I've just picked up on a few things, the way she speaks to me, my husband, anyone. It's like she has this reaction where it is, it's it's almost outrage, instant outrage. If you say to her, if you don't hear her the first time, so today she said, mum, do you have that thing? And I said, what thing's that? oh my God, I just told you, what's the thing? And I'm like, babe, I'm not in your brain. I don't know what you're saying. Is it breakfast? Is it a school lunch? Like, what are you trying to say? Anyway, she loses it and storms off. And I'm trying to understand almost where I've gone wrong or what's happened where she goes from zero to an absolute 10 in the space of once, like she just doesn't allow anyone room to move and there's no apology. It It's just, it's real explosive behaviour. Yeah. First of all, I think when kids do 
stuff like that that upsets us it's very we're very quick to go like what have I done wrong and and take the blame especially for me personally I see it a lot with mums doing a lot of that like just going like I've failed here like I've done something wrong it's 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 my fault but that's not always the case I think when it comes to kids and when they explode at home that often can mean like you're the punching bag parent Mm. if you're the parent that often cops that from your kids so I'm absolutely the punching bag parent in our household. And when you're the punching bag parent, it kind of means that you're like the emotional dumping ground for your kids and you get all the leftover uh, nastiness from the day, everything that they've kept in, everything that they know they can't do at school because they'll get in serious, serious trouble. They come home and it's just like they let loose and they let it out. Or the same thing before they get to school, they have to let it out because they're going to school. So although it's really, really hard as parents, it's really important to know that like that behavior isn't necessarily about you or that's not what she's thinking about you. I think it's the same when um, people, you know, say, oh, my, my kid says they hate me. It's mm. the same thing. It's your, your child does not hate you. That's just the only way they're able to express their frustration in that moment. But I think sometimes we can switch straight to like, oh my God, my child knows that like, you know, and they can start saying they hate you from like a pretty young age. And and you know that they know that goes straight to the heart. So it's so easy to go, okay, like it's so hard to not be personally offended when you know they're saying this thing to be personally offensive. Like why do they do that? You know, like when siblings fight and they do the same, the one thing that they know is going to get a reaction out of their sibling, it's the same thing. They know, they've learnt because maybe the first time they said it, you burst into tears and ran ran into the bathroom. They know that that is something that is going to upset you. And in that moment, they just cling to that. I think as well, like, it's important to go like, well, my kids acting like this out of nowhere. They they weren't really like this a couple of years ago or last Mm. year or even last month. What else can be going on? And often you need to be like a bit of a detective and go like, hey, maybe it is time that I contact the school and get some information as to what's going on there. And there may not be behavior. Often teachers are like, behavior (laughs) behavior he is a god he shares so well I like shares so well he like punched me in the face last week when I took a grape like yeah like he does not share well but at school they can be on their best behavior but other times the teachers will go you know what they're actually really really well behaved but now that you've mentioned it they don't put their hand up as much or this is happening. And that, those sorts of things can start to make you think like, okay, like they're not doing things they used to do. Most of those things could be like maybe anxiety related. Like maybe it is time that we look into that a little bit further. But I always say something is only a problem if it's a problem for you, right? Mm. So like, so if you something may not necessarily feel like a problem to you, but for you, Jade, it might feel like a, mm. something quite serious. So it's it's very like personalised and it's, it comes down to your personal experience. But if something feels like it's a problem, best thing you can do for your child in that scenario is get a second opinion and go chat to a psychologist or someone like that. And best case scenario, they say, look, oh, this is actually pretty developmentally normal. We're all good. So if we're talking about things like I hate you or like 
what's another, oh, you're not my best friend anymore is a real favourite. And, and I've I've heard my daughter say that to her really, really close friend. They both say it to one another. How should you react then? So if, if you think the crux of it is that like once they saw a really big behaviour, so that's why they're going straight to that. So how should we react? Because I don't want her to think that saying that is okay yeah so in that moment depending on the age of the child like my little one is two and two months and this is like some of the language I use with him most of it probably goes over his head but I think I can tell by how his face changes that he's Mm. listening so I think it's all about just being consistent with the message that you're trying to send so I'll go like oh mommy's not your best friend is she you don't feel like mommy's your best friend today and I'll just relay what he's saying to me and he'll go yes and I go oh I'm so sorry, are you feeling really angry today? And he'll go either yes or he's go to, like your daughter's is frustrated, mine is annoyed. No, look at annoyed. And I'll go, (laughs) okay, you're annoyed. Oh, thanks for telling me. And then I'll go, do you want to cuddle or do you want mommy to leave you alone? So I'll give him options of like, and I'll try and figure out what he needs. And I think a lot of parents will like, I hope we're coming away from it a little bit, but I think a lot of parents still gravitate towards like a timeout situation. And I think when it comes comes to time out, the lesson that you're trying to teach is lost because kids are so focused on the consequence or so focused on the fact that they've been put in their room that they're not thinking about why they were mm. put in their room. Do you guys watch Kevin Hart, like stand-up comedy? You know oh, when yes. he's... Um, yeah. yeah, so there's this like scene where his mum hit him in front of one of his friends and he's like, I'm running away! And he like loses it and he's like storming up and down their room. And I'm like, that was me as a kid. If I was putting time out, I didn't reflect on why I was in timeout. I thought about running away and yeah. how I was going to get back at my parents. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Totally. So for me, I'm more like, let's do some time in. So especially if there's someone else home, I'll pick Luca up and I'll take him into another room and I'll sit in the room with him. So we're away from whatever environment like might've frustrated him or we're away from the toys that he was throwing at my head, but he's not alone in that. And I'll just sit there and he can, for me, if he's in his room with me, he can throw whatever he wants. He can kick, scream because that for me is his like safe space and I want him to feel that. And I just sit there and I say, you're feeling really angry. I can see that. I'm so sorry that you're feeling really angry or so sorry that you're feeling annoyed or it must have really hurt when you hit your head on the way in here. You know, all that sort of language because kids need to feel heard. And I yeah. think when we go like, especially with younger kids, and again, I don't do this of the time, you don't have to do it 100% of the time. But when I'm frustrated and I go, stop that, what's his first reaction is to go, no, you know, and he fights me on it. Yeah. I am literally raising the most stubborn two-year-old boy in the world. Like he was such a nightmare to toilet train because he just would sit there like this for like an hour and be like, I'm not going, you know? So it's really frustrating. He's really trying to hone your skills. He's really making you like taste of your own medicine. So at the moment I've got a three and a half year old and she's trying to use hair clips and it's not just on your hair, it's on the tiny baby hairs that are growing. So we all get how hard that would be to clip on. It's like putting it on your eyebrow. Like it's really hard. We've all tried to pin back our post. 
most part of hair yeah. before. All it's right? very difficult it's to get really them under hard. control. So we're doing this every morning for the past three weeks. It's incredibly challenging trying to get the other two ready and it doesn't happen. And so then I stop and I say, I have to get breakfast ready, but you keep trying. Then she'll say, you're not my best friend anymore, mum. You're not. And I'm like, oh, so what I've been doing, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I turn around and I fake cry and I put my (laughs) hand over my mouth and I'm like, (laughs) and she stops and she starts reacting like, oh, gosh, I've hurt her feelings. And she does, she comes up and she goes, I'm sorry, mama, you're my best friend again. Is that like not blackmail, but like, is it wrong to show her how she's affecting me? (laughs) It's not wrong because if you think about it, like when someone hurts your feelings as an adult, you may not fake cry, but you go like, you've just hurt my feelings. I'm crying on the inside. Yeah. My heart is in two right now, you know? So I don't think it's necessarily wrong because you're getting a, you're getting the the outcome that you need. She's learning the lesson from it. Where it would be wrong is if she was like, "Mm, fuck it, I don't care and walks away. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess it depends on the child. Like if in someone else that could lead to her saying it more and more because she's like, ha, 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 I'm going to get mum to cry again. Exactly. I think as well, it just comes down to like when kids are getting really frustrated over something, like even like putting the lid back on a mark is a big oh one God, for like toddlers <laughs> and they're like and you're like you're breaking my markers like oh so my gosh and you're like I, I say like do you need help and he goes no look at do it and he's like breaking the marker and I'm like okay well I'm here you let me know if you need help or what can mummy do and he'll like get really angry sometimes and go like hold this and like and then we'll you know navigate it together or he'll throw it and when he throws it I go oh no we we must be feeling really angry let's pick it up together and try again so a lot of the time which is kind of like this cat's 22 because as parents you don't have a lot of patience left to give because they've literally sucked the soul right out of you but being patient and honing in your own feelings and being aware of your own emotions is one of the best things you can do in those scenarios. I guess a lot of the criticism that this gets is that life is busy like sometimes kids just have to get in the fucking car seat because you're already already running 10 minutes for an appointment or maybe your child is screaming down the whole of Woolworths and you you know you've got to get to pick up the other kid from school or whatever like is there an express version we can do in the moments that we don't have the time to sit there and go I know you're feeling frustrated. I know you're feeling annoyed. Mummy gets frustrated too sometimes. I can see how this would be really hard. Like, yeah. is there an express version? Let's hear. Have a kinder surprise. <laughs> We're going to the car. <laughs> get in the car. Here's your chocolate. We'll talk yeah. about this when we get home. Like every now and again, can we just do that? <laughs> Absolutely. So, Oh, you're my best friend. <laughs> so one of the best things I learned from this book when I read it like the 10th time was you don't have to be that like like emotionally responsive parent 100% of the time. No parent, if a parent tells you they are emotionally empathizing with their child 100% of the the time, delete their number because they're lying to you, okay? They're just trying to make you feel shit about They're not being emotionally responsive to you. (laughs) Absolutely not. There you go. So it's all about, I think from memory, it was if you are emotionally present for your child 40% of the time, 
that is enough to help your child learn those lessons. Can we break that down in minutes of 24 hours? <laughs> is that like 10 minutes? Well, it depends how much your child's up at night because <laughs> I am not emotionally responsive at 3 a.m. No, you're not responsive at all. <laughs> so I think it's all about picking your moments as well. Like for me, if my kid's having a meltdown in Woolies, my number one thing is like I need to get in and out of here as quickly as yeah. I can. Uh, you want a kombucha? Sure, babe, let's get a kombucha. That'll keep him quiet for two minutes. That gives me two minutes to get to the checkout, scan my fucking items through as quick as possible. You're not going to have a DNM in aisle five about their emotions. You're not wrong. I am not. So it's all about going like in those moments, my express thing is to go, I need to get this kid somewhere that's safe for both of us, somewhere I'm not going to feel overly judged and somewhere he can have his moment. Because that feeling, if I put the plug in it with the Kinder Surprise or the Kombucha, that's great short term, but it's about to come back out because there's only so many plugs you can put in a bucket with holes in it. Hey, how do you go about when, you know, other people like friends and family chime in on not reprimanding, but like telling your child that they should be kinder or nicer or doing something? No one really likes other people giving them parenting advice. And I think that's my dad has always said my one rule is you never, ever, ever tell a parent how to parent and you never get involved in people's relationships. It's just too But there's sometimes those times where like you can see another child about to hurt your child or you know those really awkward moments at the park where like you can tell someone else's child is about to do something and you go oh do I step in so my child doesn't get hit or is that too awkward because their mum's here but hasn't seen or whatever. Yeah, so that's actually a good question. I was actually at the park a few weeks ago and this little boy that would have been like 12 months and Lucas was two at the time kept coming up to him and trying to take his snacks like taking my son's snacks that and like prick. yeah take his eyes but not his <laughs> you know what I mean? like, he's just so obsessed with food it's insane and like he moved away a few times and would walk away doing all the right things and this kid just would not leave him alone Luca just shoved him really hard and I looked at the other mum and she was like oh I think he just wants to share snacks and I was like I don't think Luca wants to at this point so and I just go oh I just don't think he wants to share his right now these are his favorite artisan crackers (laughs) and we just and I moved Luca onto another tiny teddies (laughs) le teddy le petit teddy (laughs) (laughs) They're, they're European and um (laughs) <laughs> the, the kid followed us and it got to the point where I was like, you know what, if he does something, he does something. And if yeah. this kid touches my kid, I'm just going to get up and leave and go. That's natural concept. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I would never, though, go like, and which I'm sure is what you would do. You, you might remove your child or you might say like, oh, Luca, hands are not for hitting so that everyone in the playground can hear. But I would like, I would just leave the other parent to do their own thing. I think when it comes to grandparents and family members, it's really hard because I think a lot of the time, you know, we're still stuck in that mindset of like, oh, you were in timeout and you turned okay. Oh, you were smacked and you were just like, like, am I okay? Am I really? (laughs) You just don't see me enough anymore that you don't know. (laughs) And my parents were both born in Sudan. My dad lived there till he was 26. So you can oh, he'd have some rippers. What does him he and say? I have slightly different parenting styles? Like yeah. to the point. So like when Luca falls, and my dad's got this like thick accent that my um, son is starting to pick up. <laughs> and um, when Luca falls over, I my reaction is to go like, "Oh no, you've hurt your knee." Even though I know he's not hurt, you hurt your knee. Do you need mommy to kiss it better? And then I kiss it, and he goes on with his day. My dad goes, "Ah, oh, good boy," and claps. 
cops. <laughs> and Luke is like, but I'm in pain. But then <laughs> get up, good boy, get up. And I'm like, hey guys, let's try this. And sometimes it takes like, I'm very lucky with my uh, parents that they've been very receptive to everything that I've asked them to do. But even at daycare, there are some things where I'm like, hey, hold on a sec. I would really appreciate if you guys used this language or with my mother-in-law, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, like with certain foods that she gives Luca, I'm like, I would really appreciate if you didn't give him that. Like I would really appreciate if we tried these first and that sort of thing. And I think sometimes we worry that people are going to get offended by what we're saying. But at the end of the day, your child and how you're raising them is your choice and they're your number one priority. And if someone gets offended, that's a them problem, not a you problem. I'm really trying to get away from the whole like, you know, labelling behaviour as good as or naughty and especially like, oh, was I a good girl when I was there? Because I think that's so arbitrary. Like there's always going to be behaviours that could have been better or whatever. Like what are things we can replace that with? Or if our kids are asking, was that good? Or like Poppy will come home from daycare and she'll be like, blah, 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 a naughty boy. And sure, some of their behaviours probably could be better, but I'm like, how do you respond to that? Because I'm like, no person is 100% naughty or 100% good. So I always go like, let's focus on like the details. So an example is if Luca draws a, a, a picture, I won't go like, I love that picture. What a good picture. I'll go, wow, I love the colours you used in that picture. So focusing on the details. When we're at the park, was I a good girl at the park? You know what I really loved at the park? I love that even though the slide was a bit scary you went all the way down by yourself so just focusing on like details Mm. of the day and with naughty and again I think this comes down to personal choice but I use oh that wasn't a very cool choice was it yeah you're right Tommy didn't make some cool choices today he must have been having a really rough day he must have maybe he missed his mum and that's why he made some choices that weren't very cool speaking of emotional regulation so hashtag The girls, yeah, hashtag, it's gone viral. The girls had a school carnival yesterday and Mia went in the race, my nine-year-old, and she, you should have seen her, she was ecstatic. Like she came out, mum, I came third. Anyway, then she did the 200-metre race, burst into tears because she came fourth. I'm like, there were 10 people in there, like you came fourth. No. That is not good enough. I'm a terrible person. I can't believe I came fourth. All my friends are now going to the finals, blah, 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 and I'm not. And I honestly didn't know how to address the way that she was speaking about herself because as a parent, I was so proud. I was proud that she actually went in the race, that she completed the race, and that for me is enough. That was fantastic. It's like the competitive nature like is so overwhelming that she can't even handle coming forth. I think it's like as well we almost set kids up for failure because when else in their lives before carnivals do we set them up and pin them against each other (laughs) and teach them what it means to win or lose like when in the curriculum do they learn that is it before or after sight words I'd like to know (laughs) you know what I mean like I just don't get it so it's it's that's what I mean in regards to like we expect kids to be able to emotionally regulate but none of us are aware of like the groundwork that goes into that and like what that means for kids and what supports they may need and in that 
that example, I think that's a really nice example because I think it's all about she was internalizing all of that and saying, well, that's me. I'm a bad runner. I'm a bad this. I'm the worst of all my friends. And in that moment, nothing you could have done for her would have helped. Mm you know, it would have helped her feel better. So I think in that moment, that's where it's all about just sitting going like, I can see how like upset this has made you. I'm so, so sorry that you feel upset. Hey, I'm really proud of you, but I know that that doesn't mean much to you right now. I just really want you to know that I'm still proud of you, even if you don't feel so proud. That is a really important thing because I think as parents, we forget, and especially myself, we forget that listening is, if not more powerful than anything that you can say, just sitting there and listening to your child. And how do we encourage them to keep going when they're not always winning though? It's just about, like, I'm a very big advocate. I know a lot of people are like, my kid doesn't like running, so I'm not sending them to the running carnival. I'm a big advocate for like, you may not like it, but we still got to go. Yeah. And you may not want to compete in a race, but that's your school and that's your schoolhouse. And let's try our best to support, be part of the team in another way. In regards to the races and stuff, if they're like losing once and going like, I'm never running in a race again, just keep at it. Just listen to as to what, like what's going on for them. I, I read this thing. I think it was on like, it was an Instagram meme to be honest, but like that's where I get a lot of my information these days. And it was like this mum was saying that her teenager came home and started talking about a problem and before she could get too far into it the mum said is this a problem you want me to listen to or offer advice Mm, on huge wish my husband would say that more wow me too yeah and the and the daughter was like just listen to it and the mum's like got it I'm all ears I love that yeah I love that because I do think like as parents we want to fix everything for our kids so our first thing to do is come up with a solution and nothing grinds my gears like when I just want to be heard I actually shared a meme a bit like a reel the other day and it was about how annoying it is when you tell your partner you've got a headache and they ask you if you've drunk enough water that day and it's so funny because that Nick and I have an ongoing joke like he's really good at like keeping up his water and like moving his body in the way that his body was you know like he's just I call him the self-care queen whereas I'm like I don't realize I haven't drunk water all day until it's 5 p.m I've got a splitting fucking headache and I've sat in front of a screen all day like recording or whatever and his first response is always like have like you know when I'm reaching for the Panadol he's asking me if I've drunk any water and I'm just there's something about it that is just like shut the fuck up. (laughs) It's almost like, you know how I said before, like when kids are trying to talk to us, it's very easy to accidentally go into fixing mode and protective Mm -hmm. mode because as parents, that's your instinct reaction is Mm -hmm. to try and solve the problem for them. But sometimes there's no problem to be solved. They just want you to listen to them. And I like even saying things like it's okay can be accidentally putting a plug in that feeling, yep. which means, okay, you've solved the problem in the short term, but it's going to come back bigger and worse later. So Luca has just moved up like a level in preschool, like to the bigger room, but the way that his daycare is, it's like two houses down. So it's not the same building. And he found oh. that transition really, really hard for a kid that already struggles with drop-off. And every morning he like cries and I like hide in the bushes to hear how long he's <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, don't get caught in the bushes of a preschool. That would be really. <laughs> I know. Imagine, imagine. Oh my God, I'd be arrested, lose my license. And every day I, he comes home from school and I go, how was your day today? And the first thing he says is, mum, Luca cried at big school. And for me, I, it's very easy for me to go, oh, but what else did you do today? But I'm yeah. sure you still had fun. But yeah. if, if I do that, I don't get any more details of the day. If I go, you cried at big school because you missed mummy and it was hard to leave mummy at drop-off, wasn't it? He'll go, yeah. And I'll go, oh, okay. Did you play with anyone after you cried? And then he'll tell me about his day. Yeah. Because I haven't shut him down. But it's hard to do. It's hard to not go into that protective mode. I default to the it's okay, it's okay thing a lot. And I think that what I mean is like it's okay to feel the way you're feeling, da-da-da-da-da, but when they're screaming and you're just going, it's okay, it's okay, it's like, well, actually what they're hearing is Mm. be quiet it's fine. It's all good. And I often catch myself, like even when they're a newborn and they're screaming, I feel like you're actually talking to yourself being like, it's going to be okay. Like (laughs) that, that is definitely something that I would like to try and default to less because I know that there's a longer conversation going on in my head, but they're not actually hearing that. Especially when they're young, like they don't have the capacity to take in all that we're trying to say to them. So what are some other ways that we can respond to tantrums and meltdowns? So I think when it comes to like any form of behavior, we need to figure out why that behavior is happening. And like, until you figure out that why, the behavior is not going to change. I think one of the hardest things to do is to go like, okay, I need to take a step back here and go, what's happened before this? Like what's led us to this point? Because if you only focus on the behavior, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Your child doesn't feel heard. The focus is off and you're not going to be able to together come to a solution and solve the problem. But if you go like, oh, he's thrown that because he's, you know, worried because, or he's, he's hit his brother because 10 minutes ago, his brother started taking his things and and it got to a point where he just couldn't handle it anymore. They're the things that you need to be aware of before you help a child with a tantrum in the middle of a tantrum the boat has sailed. Mm. There's not much you can do. So it's just about riding it out and doing that. I'm here for you. I can see that you're feeling angry. And do you want to cuddle? No. Okay. Mummy's right here. I will wait for you for when you're ready. You just got to ride it out. I like to do a lot of like preventative stuff. So if I can see Luca and and I say this to my clients as well, like if I can start to see him getting a little bit like more irritable as the day goes on for older kids, I'll go like, let's do it. Let's have a check-in, like a feelings check-in on the fridge and go like, Hey, where are we at on this scale of one to 10 with our big feelings? Are we zeros? No feelings. Tens the biggest it could possibly be. Yeah. And like if half an hour ago they're at a three and you've checked in again and they're at a seven, you know that something's going on and then you can get it before it gets to a 10. Mm. I reckon we need that as an adult and a parent. Like if you think about a mother's mental load and a parent's mental load, you're sitting here and we're, we're just trying to work out the emotional intelligence of our children and how we can respond and we're supposed to show them that. But we're also sitting there and especially me this morning and usually every morning, there's this bubbling of me about to implode and I've got to then sit there and go, 
Why am I feeling like this? Why am I about to lose my lid? And then I have to think about my emotions and where they're coming from. And that like, and these are all once again going in our heads. No one sees what we're thinking or how much we're trying to better ourselves, better our children. And yet here we are every day learning again and again and again how we can better just everything in our life. I listened to an amazing podcast on the imperfects and it was actually with a child psychologist, but one of the things I took away the most from it was something that was aimed at the parents. And it was that one of the most frictiony points, especially if you know, someone works out of the home while someone's staying at home is when the person walks in the door, you both check in, especially the person who has been at home with, are you at a one where you need that person to step in and you need to step out absolutely this millisecond? Or are you at like a seven where the person can possibly come home, put their bags down, have a shower, then check in and go, what can I do to help now? And you no, know, like I'm pregnant. Nick went away for a few nights. I had a really, really rough time to the point that I had to call in friends and stuff to stay over and help me. And he got home from being away. And I didn't want to be like the minute he walked in the door, never leave me again. I've had enough. I've had the worst weekend because I knew that would spoil the fact that he just had a nice weekend. So he walked in the door and I said, babe, I'm at a one or a two. I'm just leaving this room right now. And it worked so well because it wasn't like he walked in the door and I was like, I fucking resent you. Like, da da da. And he knew, okay, even if I stink right now, even if I, I'm not taking a shower right now until she is okay to like join the family. Again. 100%. And it's so important to reflect on your feelings and like as parents and as mums, it's so easy to go like, you know, this is what everyone does and this is normal. Like, I need, but it's, it's not. And if you are feeling overwhelmed, your, your children are going to see that. Nothing grinds my gears more as a parent than when I've cooked a beautiful, nutritious meal and Luca's like, I'm done after one bite and then ask for 18 pieces of fruit. And I'm like, nah, boy, you, you sit your ass down, Wade. <laughs> and I get so frustrated. And then I have to go like, am I frustrated at him? because he's not eating or am I frustrated for myself because I spent all that time and it's all turned to shit. Yeah, but what's what, like, both are really both are, quite Both okay. are totally valid, but one of them's a me problem and one of them's a him problem. Right. So if it's a him problem, then I can work with him. But if it's a me problem, I need to take a step away and go like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we're talking about, you know, like we were talking about the tantruming before and, you know, trying to get to it before it happened, but obviously a lot of them you can't stop before they start. What if your child is quite a violent tantrum, whether that be hurting you, hurting someone else, hurting themselves, you know, and we want to, like, how do we make it so the situation's not dangerous before we sit with them and wait for them to calm? Yeah. So first things first, when you're dealing with any child behavior, any child feeling is making sure that of of course everyone is safe. And that starts with whoever else may be in the room as well. So if there's little siblings, if it's safe to do so, I would pop them in a cot 
like away. If it's not, then I would leave them where they are, chuck the TV on and move the other one to the safe place in the home, which may be like mum or dad's bed because it's a bit bigger and there's Mm. pillows and it's soft, or it could be their room depending on, you know, your circumstances. And then just writing it out in a place where they are safe. So if they're the minute you get like, let's say you go to their room and there's a lamp, I would, I would just move, start moving things out of the way, but in a really quiet way, you're not in trouble. Mummy's right here. Mummy just wants to make sure that everyone's safe right now and just start slowly moving things away. And I think it's very easy to go like explosive children are angry or naughty kids, but explosive children are often sensitive children. And it's really important to go, okay, he's having this big reaction, but why? Like, why is this reaction happening? And is hurting yourself when you're angry, like, is that a bit of a red flag? Because I think one of the things that parents worry is they go, oh God, do I just keep writing this out? And it's an age appropriate thing. They're still learning to, you know, regulate. Or are there some things that we should be looking out for that are like, oh, that's a bit of a warning sign that like maybe there's a behavioral issue or, or not even an issue, just something that needs I think especially work. headbutting. A lot of people said when my my toddler headbutts his own head to the floor, like that would surely cause some damage, wouldn't it? Well, I think where we get nervous is that like things like headbanging or hurting yourself can be indicative of a developmental diagnosis, like such as autism, right? But I think it's really important to remember that emotional regulation difficulties alone don't warrant a diagnosis of ADHD. They don't warrant a diagnosis of autism. Those diagnoses are much more complex than I think we realise, you know, if you're not in this field. So I think it's all about going like, is this reducing over time? What purpose is it serving? So Luca, for example, if he hits me, I go, hold on, mummies are not for hitting. So he then hits himself. And I can tell that that's his way of going like, I'm just angry. I need to hit something. You said I can't hit you. So I'll hit myself. So for me, I'm not worried about that because I can see that that's his way of processing what I'm trying to explain to him. Whereas if a child was head, like I, I've worked with kids that headbang on a brick wall and they've mm. made their heads bleed and it, it can, it, you know, it can be dangerous. They can concuss themselves. And in that case, that's when I would be trying to seek advice from an occupational therapist or a child psychologist. And you can see a child psychologist and an occupational therapist and get things that are helpful without there necessarily being a quote-unquote diagnosis, right? Because I think a lot of people, like, they they go like, oh, my child definitely doesn't have ADHD or doesn't have autism. And even if they do, obviously, like, that's, that's fine. But I think sometimes people go, oh, those things are only for people who who have a diagnosis. No, you can see a child psychologist with absolutely no diagnosis. You can go and get parenting advice, parenting yeah. tips, parenting strategies. You can have sessions for your, for your child. You can do family that you can do lots of different things and none of that requires a diagnosis. And I think it's really important 
to remember that like I'm fully aware that there's still quite a lot of stigma around and parents tend to think like if they need to see any form of allied health therapist that something is they're doing something wrong but that's not the case like Jade you were saying that you've got kids that are totally different but you are the you're the same parent like just because you parent one way doesn't mean it's necessarily the best way for every single child in your family and you may need some support and there's nothing wrong with that so I think us as parents need to break through that stigma and go like actually putting up your hand and saying I need some support here or my child needs some support in my opinion is one of the bravest things or the best things you can do as a parent. One of the ways I look at it is parenting is so draining and so much energy is required to go into it. So you may as well be putting that energy and exhaustion into a way that is helpful for you and your child. And that's why the way I've looked at it, if I was like, oh, if I ever felt like I needed help or strategies with parenting one of my children, it's like, it's so fucking tiring. So if I'm doing it, I may as well be doing it in a helpful way. Absolutely. And it would, and I don't want to downplay how tiring that would be to have to parent children in really different ways in the same household. I think that would be really challenging. Yeah. And I guess that's where a psychologist comes in to help you figure out, navigate what that looks like and how to get everyone on the same page or the same routine and the same parenting strategies. Because you feel guilty. Like if you've got, we've got three kids and you, not that you favour them, but you do treat them all differently because of the way that they react and respond to certain things. Mm. One child might be really easy to get dressed in the morning and listen to directions. The other might ignore you for the whole morning and then have an outburst and go, you like this person better because they do this, they never get in trouble. Why don't you yell at this person? And it's really hard when they get older and, you know, yeah. you don't. You also don't want to downplay their their strength, their independence, and their resilience because you want them to be confident. Like I want confident women. I want to raise these women right. But at the same time, it's so hard to understand and try to articulate to them the reason that you respond in different ways. I'm a very. I put myself in other people's shoes every day, all day, because I want to make sure that, you know, what, how they respond or how I react is going to come out okay. So it's, it is, it's just parenting is extremely hard, no matter what child, what sex, what gender, what's going on, what age. Nothing prepared. Like I will never forget when I came, when we were leaving the hospital and they were like, cool, so you can go. And I was like, with the baby. Yeah. And like, yeah, with the baby. <laughs> like, Sophie always says that. She's like, do I need like a certificate or You know like when you get license? your L's, you sit down and you do that like multi-choice test and they've got the little diagrams, what would you do in this situation? I'm like, surely I've at least got to do like a 10-part multi-choice question. Like the car seat? Like, yes, signing something. I said, do I need to sign something to say, like, I've taken this with me as I've gone? <laughs> Is it mine? And then my tra- my my poor second child, because she was born during COVID times, I forgot to register her birth for a solid year. <laughs> you weren't going anywhere it was, anyway. No, it wasn't until we decided we needed a passport that I was like, fuck, this child doesn't have a birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> and I was somehow getting her immunisations and stuff. She was in daycare. She had Medicare. And I was like, you, you don't exist. 
<laughs> you found a loophole in the. In the system. I was like, she's a little, she's a little fugitive. She can go wherever she wants. But anyway, thank you so much. This is obviously an area that yeah we could talk about for so so long because I think everyone, no matter how quote unquote fiery or explosive your child is, it's still a difficult part of parenting. And um, yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. No worries. Thanks so much for having me. It was an awesome chat. Thank you. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.